going to be beginning a new series this morning. We're going to be looking at the letters to the seven churches. And we have to begin with Jesus revealing himself in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. We're going to ask you to turn here in the Bible. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. Time, beloved, I'm going to ask that we stand as the word of God is read. Please heed what is being said in this passage, not because it speaks to us of something that we're required to obey, but because of who it reveals. Revelation chapter 1. Starting in verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write! Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and the Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is God's word. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, I don't think there's anybody who can effectively communicate what is in this passage. But Holy Spirit, you wrote this. Holy Spirit, you had it penned and preserved through the ages, even through much debate. And we have received it this day as your word. So we would ask that you would speak to us, illumine our heart and our mind. Give us a glimpse of the majesty of the Lord of glory, that we may love him, that we may give ourselves away to him, that we may anticipate what it is 
have his church to do. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. It's time that we as a church begin to look at ourselves as a church in the light of what the Lord Jesus wants for his church in terms of its art. We have looked an awful lot at the Christian life. Now, how do we actually live this life? How do we make it practical in the kinds of situations that we face or in living together as members of the church? But the church itself has a duty before God. The church itself has a duty before Christ, who is the head of the church. And it's time that we begin to take a look at this. And so, in order to accomplish that, we're going to look into the letters that the Lord Jesus Christ himself dictated and had sent to the churches in Asia Minor. Did you hear me say that? These are the letters that the Lord himself dictated to his servant, the Apostle, instructing him that these were to be sent to the churches in Asia Minor. This is Christ's word to the church. And during a time when it was facing severe persecution, during a time when it was facing deep difficulty. And therefore, these these words have relevance to the whole church, and I will say to you, they have relevance for us here. These are not for some time in the past. These are not for some time in the future, even though this book is handled in very much a future way. These are for the church today. This church today. This church right now, here in this place. And that's how we're going to approach them. Because we want to be, we want to be obedient We want to have vitality before the Lord. We want to bring fruit into his his kingdom. Before we look into these letters specifically, it's critical that we see how these letters have come to us, how the Lord has chosen to reveal himself so that we may understand the significance of these letters How he has chosen to manifest himself says much about his lordly relationship with the church. One of the things that I probably need to communicate gently right here is this is not gentle Jesus, meek and mild, carrying the lamb around his shoulders. He bears a sword, he commands his troops. He controls the events in the world because he is bringing about its end. This is the church militant receiving instructions on how to be the church triumphant. That's what this is. Here he manifests himself in a distinct manner to his servant, the Apostle, the Apostle John. Now, listen... The book is entitled The Revelation. In some cases, it's entitled The Apocalypse, which means the unfolding, the unveiling, the pulling aside of the curtain. 
That's what the book is about. That's what this message is about. It's about the Lord of glory. The Lord of glory in the earth. The Lord of glory in his church. As we move into the passage, look what John says about himself, first of all. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. John is 80s, upper 80s, maybe early 90s in age at this point. John has been a vigorous proclaimer of the gospel. He has been a fearless proclaimer of the gospel. And at the age of, let's say, 88 or 90 or 92, he is considered a threat to the Roman Empire. Did you get that? Here, here, look. The church has got this thing right now about chasing off after the youth. 90 years old. He's a threat to the Roman Empire. So what do they do? They exile him to an island, a volcanic island, 40 miles away from the mainland, which has got nothing on it but a bunch of scrubby shrubs, maybe a few animals. And he's left there with other exiles because they're a problem to the Roman Empire. John describes himself as having participation with, fellowship with, those who are facing the persecutions in the Roman Empire at this time. So Jesus comes to his persecuted servant who represents his persecuted church with a message. And he says, John, you're a worthy spokesman. I want you to, carry, I want you to write this message and I want you to have it sent to all the churches. John is here because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Just because John is in this isolated place, he doesn't stop worshiping the Lord, and he doesn't stop turning his heart and his affections to the Lord on the Lord's day. Look what it says. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. It was the Lord's day. It was the first day of the week. His heart was turned to the Lord in adoration and worship. It's in that context of adoration and worship that the Lord reveals himself to his disciple. There are lots of people, when they go on vacation, they take a vacation from everything. They stop going to church. They stop concerning themselves with, uh, with uh, you know, your, the daily reading of the word of God, they stop concerning themselves with uh, Christian things. It's kind of like, you know, I'm on a vacation from everything. I'm going to stop this Jesus stuff for a while and take a break. You don't find that in the Apostle John. Not because he's an apostle, but because he's a lover of Jesus Christ. Let us not slip into the mode of saying, oh, it's summertime, I don't have to go to church. Let us not slip into the mode of saying, well, you know, I'm on vacation. I'm not sure I want to go to worship or feel like going anywhere where there's Christians. 
I just want to be my licentious self so I don't have to give an account for it. Folks, that's not discipleship. That's not following Jesus. That's following some other idol, but that's not following Jesus. Let us not be like that. Let us, let us be like the Apostle John. It's the Lord's Day. I've got, I've got the privilege of worshiping the Lord on this day, one day in seven, when I can take a break. I love the fact that Chick-fil-A doesn't sell chicken on Sunday. The only time they sold chicken on Sunday, actually, they didn't even sell it. The only time they opened up and made chicken and distributed it on Sunday is for some natural disaster down in Florida, I think. Because the emergency response workers needed food so they could keep responding. That's Christian mercy. That's what that is. It wouldn't bother me at all if every merchant closed his doors on Sunday. It used to be that way. No cars sold, no liquor sold, no groceries sold. Maybe the hospital stayed open, but that's a work of mercy. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He's worshiping the Lord. He's he's just before the Lord with adoration. You gave me life. You gave me spiritual life. I'm yours. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. I worship you, adore you. I sing to you. May our lives be filled up that way. So he's worshiping on the Lord's day, and all of a sudden he hears this trumpet behind him, a loud voice like a trumpet. And actually, the time that we hear that somewhere in the past is when God descends on Mount Sinai with his voice like a trumpet and lightnings and thunderings and the proclamation of his holy law to his people. And so a voice like the trumpet, and the first word, the first word that he hears is, write this down. I want you to write. I'm dictating this to you. You write this down, it's got to be sent to the church. And so he turns and he says, I saw one like the Son of Man among seven golden lampstands. I saw seven golden lampstands in the midst of the lampstands, one like a Son of Man, I'm in verse 13, clothed with a long robe, and so on. This, one, this description of one like the Son of Man is the first revelation, clear revelation, of the glorified Lord Jesus Christ since his ascension 45 years earlier. To date, in the apostles' lives, they have been operating on Jesus' proclamation that he was ascending to his Father, that they were going to receive the Holy Spirit, and then by faith they needed to proclaim the message. They were shedding their blood in faith by the virtue of Christ's command. They were being imprisoned. They were being persecuted. They were sometimes losing their homes and losing their goods, and they were doing it based upon the last word of Christ. Go make disciples. They were operating completely by faith, not by sight. 
And now, for the first time in 45 years, Jesus shows up. And he shows up not as a suffering servant. He shows up not as a shepherd holding lamb over his shoulder. He shows up as a mighty, majestic king, filled with glory, shining in his face, ready to give a message to his church. This is the Lord. This is the majestic one who is head of the church, and we are his body. This is the glorious ancient of days, the king of the universe, the eternal holy one who moves freely and knowingly among his churches. He walks freely among the lampstands, declaring his purposes. He's in direct command of his messengers, and he walks knowingly among his people. Here's the application. This morning, right here, in this building, Jesus is walking back and forth. He's walking back and forth in his majesty. The Shekinah glory has descended among us. Do you see it? Do you see it? You must see it by faith. If you don't see it, you need to ask the Lord to open your eyes. Jesus is walking up and down among his lampstands, revealing himself, speaking to hearts, teaching us, ruling us, defending us. So that's where he is. He's found among the lampstands. The lampstands, he says in chapter 1, verse 20, are the seven churches, the churches that he's going to be sending these letters to. Seven is a perfect number. Uh, it's the number of completion, as it were, the number, uh, the, the, the number of perfection. So this is, his, this, this is letters to his church, the whole church, the universal church. We read about that in this lengthy profession of faith today, the invisible church and the visible church, all of those who belong to the Lord and who profess his name. And even when the Apostle Paul saw the Lord Jesus, he only saw light. He only saw light and heard a voice. This is the first real, clear revelation. But now we see that Christ is among the lampstands. The lampstands are specifically noted as such because the church is the light in the world. We're the ones who have the truth. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. It doesn't matter what the scientists say. They don't, I don't care how much they pile up phrases that this is true and this is true and this is true and this is true. Truth starts here. Truth starts with Jesus. Not that the other things don't have truth in them or don't explain something about the physical reality we live in, but here's the core, the basis, the foundation. And so the church is the light of the world because it has the word of God and it proclaims the word of God. And Jesus has an eternal invested interest in our faithfulness. Our faithfulness with the word, our faithfulness in worship, our faithfulness with discipleship. Jesus has a vested interest in that. And so his, his appearance is, is described in striking ways. I saw him, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash. 
If you trace the word robe throughout scriptures, it mostly refers to priests and kings. And sashes are equally references to the authority of kings and the authority of priests. Now, that means authority in their different spheres. So priests had authority in the temple and in the worship services of Israel, and the king had authority over the civic order, Okay, the society, making sure that the law was being upheld in the society. The Lord Jesus Christ, both of those offices have been wedded together. He is the highest priest of priests. He is the only priest that we, that we have now. And he's also the only king, the king of kings, the king who rules over all kings. Both of those have been wedded together and melded in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's there in a long robe and in a golden sash. A golden sash being an indicator of glory, his glorious authority. Clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. We have this wonderful uh, picture in the book of Daniel of the Ancient of Days. And uh, Daniel speaks about the Ancient of Days. He says, as I looked, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. That Ancient of Days is a reference to the eternal God. Right here you have the pulling together of all of the the qualities, characteristics, attributes of the Son of Glory, the Son of God, eternal divinity as high priest and king in his humanity manifested in beauty. This is so far superior to a crucifix hanging on the wall. A crucifix is a little cross with the statue of a man hanging and suffering. Now, we need to know about the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. He suffered for our sins. He had no sins. He did not deserve to die. He suffered for our sins. He suffered for our sins. They put thorns in his head. They whipped him on the back with a whip with little barbs on the end of it. They nailed him on a cross. He suffered, not for any sin he ever committed, but for us, for you, for your, well, it's a little white lie, you know, for your little sins, as well as your big sins. Jesus suffered. But you know what? He didn't stay suffering. He didn't stay on the cross. And therefore, a crucifix is not a really helpful image of who our Lord is. But this picture, 
Lord of glory, shining in his magnificence, robed in his priestly robe, in his kingly robe, with a golden sash, eyes burning with flame who can penetrate into the hearts of each and every one of us to discern whether or not we are walking in the way and to lead us in the way of everlasting. This one, this is our king. This is the image that we need. This is the image that the church must have. For if we have a Savior hanging on a crucifix, we don't have victory. But if we have a Savior who is risen and glorified and ready for warfare in order to bring to consummation and fullness exactly what God planned from before the foundation of the world, this is a king to follow. His hair is white like white wool. His eyes are like flame, indicating how perceptive, omniscient, able at a glance to see and to comprehend and to judge the most hidden thing in the world, the hidden thing of the mysteries of God. No wonder why the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and try me, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and then lead me in the way of everlasting. His feet are burnished bronze. That's a picture that he's ready to stand in holy judgment. His voice is like many waters. That is, things being said that both refresh and challenge and instruct and lead. His face shining like the sun. But the last picture we're given is that he's got the stars, seven stars in his hands. These are the angels of the churches, we're told, again, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. The world angelos, the angels, that word angelos, can also be translated messenger. And therefore, it must be understood primarily or foremost as a messenger, someone sent with a message. And so what it's saying is that Christ is walking among the churches and in his hands he holds the pastors of the churches. Now, sometimes when people say, I'm a star, they don't exactly mean that. But in Christ's hands, I'm a star to this church. I'm one of his messengers. I bring his word, not because I'm better than anybody or not because I'm smarter than anybody or not because I've got more education than anybody, but because Christ chooses to use this weak, infirm instrument to proclaim to you what his word says that you may know it. And so Christ holds the stars in his hands as he walks among the lampstands. And then he gives his credentials. Fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. The church is facing this severe persecution. John has been exiled on this island, Patmos. The church is suffering underneath the persecutions of the Roman Empire. And so they're facing death, and they're facing torment, and they're facing difficulty. And Jesus says, I know. I know. I know what this is. But you need to know this. Those are nothings 
in my book. I've already overcome those. You don't look at those things. Don't look at the sufferings. Don't look at the persecutions. You look at me. You look at me. Because I am your victory. I am the conqueror of those things. I am the one who will preserve you in that. When you find yourself into difficult when you find yourself in difficulties in your life, it doesn't make any difference what kind of difficulties they are. Your eyes are not to be fixed on the difficulty. You, you know, you have to recognize and admit the difficulty for what it is. You, you can't paint it as something else and pretend that it's going to go away. But you have to recognize it for what it is and take that and lay it before Jesus' feet and look at Jesus. Because he is the victorious Lord of glory. That's why he says, I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end of your life. I am I'm the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. What do you fear most? Is it death? Well, that's already been dealt with. It's already been handled. I have the keys of death and of Hades. He lays out his credentials. And his credentials are, he's the victor. He's the victor. Friends, this is the vision the church needs. This is the vision you and I need for every single day and every single thing we go through. This is the vision this church needs to be the kind of shining light it's called to be in Princeville, Illinois, in Edelstein, in Wyoming, in in Brimfield, maybe even in Peoria and beyond. This is the kind of vision of Christ and the light that we need to be in this place at this time. So the Lord Jesus has a message for his church. He says, write these things down. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at this message to each of the churches and ask, are we like this? Jesus is going to say some things to his church in in Ephesus, in Smyrna, in Thyatira, and we're going to have to ask the question, are we like this? Is this what we're like? Is this what we need to pay attention to? Because this is the message that the church needs at this time. This message from this vision of this king. And may he open our hearts to receive this message. What about us? What is our vision of Jesus? I I would appeal to you When you're starting to waver in your vision of Jesus, go to this passage. Go to this passage and be reminded of his magnificence, his majesty, his beauty, his power, the victories that he's had over sin and death. He who has the keys to Hades. Take up this vision. 
and be ready to follow this Lord. That will be the call to each one of these churches as we work through these letters. Let us ask, which one of these or which few of these tell us about Princeville Presbyterian in this time, in this place? Let's pray together, shall we? Speak, Lord, for your servants listen. Fill our minds and our hearts with your magnificence and carry us forward into this day and each and every day after this. Lead us where you want us to go. Enable us by your Spirit to follow you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing the church's one foundation.
May this vision of Christ carry you forward throughout the week. May you see your spirits buoyed up because of His power, because of His victory, because of His majesty. It's for you. It's for you. It's for us. That we may live the way that He calls us to. And as you do, He blesses you as you go out. So reach out and receive the blessing of the Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each of you and all of you. Amen. Go and